Well, my topic this morning is kindness. And I was like, well, maybe I should preach on something more um, complicated. But if you think about kindness for very long, you realize how very complicated it is. And I'm very appreciative of the choir piece um, because being kind to ourselves is one of the places, we think that's a place to start. As I've gotten older, I've learned it's the place to return to again and again, and each time hopefully a little bit deeper um, because it is one of the hardest things. And so I have two readings before I actually start my remarks, but the first one is by Galway Kamel, the poet, and it's speaking to that being kind to yourself and recognizing the sacred beauty and uniqueness uh, and preciousness of every individual. And it's called St. Francis and the Sow, S-O-W. The bud stands for all things, even for those things that don't flower. For everything flowers from within of self-blessing. Though sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness, to put a hand on the brow of the flower and retell it in words and in touch, it is lovely, until it flowers again from within of self-blessing. As St. Francis put his hand on the creased forehead of the sow and told her in words and in touch, blessings of earth on the sow. And the sow began remembering all down her thick length from the earthen snout all the way through the fodder and slops to the spiritual curl of the tail. From the hard spininess spiked out from the spine down through the great broken heart to the sheer blue milk and dreaminess of spurting and shuddering from the 14 teats into the 14 mouths sucking and blowing beneath them. The long, perfect loveliness of the sound. And this is a story by a uh, spiritual leader and meditation and author, um, Sharon Salzberg. You may have read some of her work. It's a personal story of her own, told by her about her when she was at a, um, a gathering like this one, a gathering where she was gleaning some spiritual advice and ethical advice and advice on personal growth. I guess she's telling it about someone else. She was in a bad car accident and on crutches when the Dalai Lama came to visit. There were crowds and security police and lots of chaos. I was feeling dismal on crutches, she said, especially when I ended up in the back of a huge crowd waiting to greet the Dalai Lama. The car pulled up at last and was greeted by the cameras, the people, and the armed police. The Dalai Lama got out, looked around, and saw me standing way in the back of the throng, leaning on my crutches. He cut straight through the crowd and came up to me as if he was homing in on the deepest suffering in the situation. He took my hand, looked me in the eye, and asked, what happened? 
It was a beautiful moment. I had been feeling left out. Now I suddenly felt cared for. His simple acknowledgement, his openness, helped me feel included. Every act can be expressive of our deepest values. I titled my platform to you this morning, My Religion is Kindness, and that is a quote, a statement of the Dalai Lama. What would it be like if we could all say that? My religion is kindness. Most of us need to be reminded to be kind. Kindness seems a simple virtue, almost childlike in its simplicity, and that is part of its power. True kindness holds no ulterior motive. A kindness that is heartfelt does not seek reward, attention, or even gratitude. It is a gift, freely given. I wish that I could practice kindness faithfully each day with all whom I meet. I yearn to give the gift of kindness to the world and to myself. I was given such a gift recently. It was in Whole Foods, of all places. I assume many of you have been to Whole Foods in Silver Spring. That's where it was. It was lunchtime, and Whole Foods was busy and noisy, and like most of those around me, I was in a rush between appointments. I picked up food from the salad bar and found a seat in the crowded eating area. It's very small there, the eating area. And as usual, I sat down reading while I ate. Enjoying my food and my magazine and trying to shut out the busyness around me, I had created a little do not disturb zone. And then it happened. A middle-aged man, a store employee, was sweeping the floor around my table. There must have been some children there just before me. The floor was a mess. And he wanted to sweep there under where I was sitting. He stood still and looked at me kindly and said, Excuse me, sister. I moved my feet a bit and he swept the floor clean. That was it. That's all that happened. I don't know what cultural or religious group he belonged to, but he addressed me as sister. And he meant it. And I didn't deny it. In that moment, I knew myself to be his sister. And clearly, he saw every person who came and went from that shared dining space. He saw each and every one as a brother and a sister. He saw me and honored me with a kind smile and an affirming name. I was so grateful I wanted to weep. I believe we go through our days longing for moments like that and mourning the disappointments of our mostly cursory human interactions. How many of us come eagerly home from work at the end of a long day, unconsciously hoping for a small act of kindness to meet us as we walk in the door? Or if we are the one working at home, how we long for a surprise bunch of flowers, or a compliment on the gardening, or an acknowledgement somehow of our sacred worth. But we miss each other all the time. Am I the only one? <laughs> we miss each other all the time, caught up in busyness, running to the next meeting, or the demands of children, or email, 
we fail to make contact through human kindness. A simple act of kindness can mean so much. It means we are truly seen by the other person. My daughter has lived in New York City for the past year, and she's so in love with the Big Apple. She's in her early 30s. She's the religious education director at All Souls Unitarian Church in Manhattan. She and her husband, who's a musician, are loving the excitement of the big city. My daughter's also a new seminary student at Union Seminary. Her life is full, but she takes time to be kind to her mother. Most weeks, she surprises me with a phone call and in nonstop breathlessness tells me the stories of her life in the past week. They are hilarious stories. Half of them are about Unitarian Universalists, so you know how funny they can be. <laughs> Half of them are about riding the subway, funny with an edge. And the rest are about food, also pretty funny these days. But it is the sharing itself that is the kindness, the time she takes to make me laugh and to let me know how her life is going. What a gift. She expects nothing in return. In fact, I think she hopes I don't call her too much. <laughs> well, she does expect a little help with the cost of the vacation at the beach in the summer. Why do we need kindness and need it so desperately sometimes? In part, we need it because we are so often in pain, hurt by the pace of our lives, disappointed by life or the challenges of a particular day. Often we are suffering from childhood wounds. I was raised in a time when parents were told to be tough on their kids, when school teachers insisted on silence and straight lines and memorization of multiplication tables. Kindness was not on the curriculum. And I still carry within me a deficit of kindness, a cup waiting to be filled. Thus, I was so very touched by the man at Whole Foods. We are in need of kindness because we live in a country that is often cruel, in a time of heightened fear. We are always being told to be afraid of something. And sometimes the warnings are wise. Life can be dangerous. Not trusting strangers can be the better course. Protecting our own, being cautious. There are plenty of reasons to create a zone of silence or a protective distance around ourselves as we go through our daily routines. It's hard to find kindness on the beltway or in a noisy restaurant or in line at the grocery. It's hard to find kindness and it's hard to give and receive it. There's a wonderful little book called Radical Hospitality, St. Benedict's Way of Love, written by Father Daniel Homan and Lonnie Collins Pratt. And they tell this story. It's a story of how hard it is for some of us to receive acts of kindness. It goes like this. Recently, a friend underwent surgery on her foot. As a result, she could not bear weight on it for many weeks. After recovering from surgery enough to drive, she packed her wheelchair and crutches into her Jeep and headed up to the cabin in the woods for some rest. When she arrived at the cabin alone, there was a young man there reading the electric meter. 
She had planned to call a neighbor for assistance in carrying everything into the house. Instead, the very nice young man helped carry things, parked her car in the garage, and offered to help unpack and take upstairs anything that needed to go up. Later, when she called her husband to tell him she had arrived, she mentioned the meter reader and how helpful and gracious he had been. Her husband replied, yeah, we'll see if he was really being nice or will he come back after dark. Communities like the Washington Ethical Society are among those places that teach kindness as a virtue. True kindness always has an intimacy to it. Like the employee in Whole Foods calling me sister was a little bit embarrassing. He spoke to me with a level of intimacy rare in the ordinary day. The giving and receiving of an act of kindness has that quality of intimacy, whether from a stranger or a close friend or relative. The giver has a role and the receiver has a role. When it comes to being kind, most of us were taught the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This rule has its origins in the Christian Bible, Matthew 7, verse 12. As a child, I remember trying to sort out the words of this rule. Something about it felt confusing, mixed up. I had to think hard about it. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you unto me. I wasn't sure how I could turn that around in my thinking and do the right thing unto others. I knew it meant I should be kind, but did that mean just being nice? And what did I want done unto me? The golden rule was really intended as an economic guide. It posited an ethic of reciprocity. Give in proportion to what you are given. Give and take. But if it's to be a quality of character, it must mean more than reciprocity. And that was the part as a child I couldn't quite figure out. In my research this week, I learned of another rule. You may have heard of it. It's called the platinum rule. Have any of you heard of it? Ah. And, well, do you know of it because you saw that episode of How I Met Your Mother? <laughs> there is one titled The Platinum Rule. I, I haven't looked at it. <laughs> the term was coined by writer and motivational speaker Tony Alessandro. Alessandro also intends his platinum rule for economic purposes. He is a motivational speaker in sales and marketing. Nonetheless, I like the platinum rule. It says, Treat others in the way that they wish to be treated. Treat others in the way they wish to be treated. The other morning, my husband followed the golden rule, doing unto me as he would want me to do unto him. It was about breakfast. While I was out for a long walk, he made oatmeal for breakfast, something he would have loved me to do for him. I was a bit grateful, but really, I don't like oatmeal. <laughs> if he'd only followed the platinum rule, I would have had pancakes or French toast. <laughs> that would have been a true kindness. As it was, I had to kindly accept the oatmeal. 
Oftentimes, it is harder to practice kindness with those we live with and love. So often, we want to do what is best for them, whether they like it or not. <laughs> What's the difference between kindness and compassion? How might they be related? To be kind in a compassionate manner requires us to really see the other person, to know about the pancakes. It's not giving what we think is best for them, not giving them what we ourselves want, but giving the gift they truly need or desire. Figuring that out can be hard. It requires us to put ourselves in the place of the other, letting go of our own agenda or judgment about what's healthy. The kind gentleman in Whole Foods was seeing in a compassionate manner. He seemed to be in the world in a spiritual way, seeing the brother and sister in every stranger. Wow, who can do that? The other amazing thing about my Whole Foods blessing is how that man was taking his kindness out into the world with him. He wasn't just practicing acts of kindness at home or in his place of worship or with his closest friends or loved ones. He was giving it away in the public square. Being kind within our own comfortable circles isn't enough. We need to take our kindness into the streets. If we're going to contribute to creating more kindness in the world, then we need to make acts of kindness in the public, a public spiritual practice. That's part of what the Occupy movement was about last year. We were seeking and experiencing the company of strangers. Folks at my UU congregation in Rockville cooked a lot of food for Occupy DC. Only a few of us actually went downtown to the General Assembly meetings. But one of our wise activists, one day, when people weren't really responding and bringing in food, he had the thought of bringing a tall stack of large aluminum containers, you know, those big sort of baking dish container things that you can buy at the store. And so he brought in a huge stack of those and encouraged people to take them home and bring them back filled with home-cooked food. Well, those containers went like hotcakes. All of them came back with delicious, healthy meals. And our activists took them, these well-cooked acts of kindness, down to Farragut Square to feed the hungry occupiers and some homeless people too. Parker Palmer, in his book, The Company of Strangers, writes, the integrity of the church's vision and of the ethical society's vision of justice and compassion depends on its public expression. We must incarnate our vision in public, he writes, for there and only there is the stranger to be found. We can wait and wait for each stranger one by one to find their way to our door. But that is a small and cautious expression of kindness. It is not prophetic love. The kindness that builds beloved community must be taken to the streets. True kindness requires the intimacy of meeting people where they are, giving them what they really need and want. To grow as moral individuals and as a moral nation, we need to see the world and each other through the eyes of compassion. 
We need to practice a kindness that rests on and flows from compassion, a platinum kindness rather than a golden rule. Let us take our compassionate kindness home and give our loved ones what they want. And let us bring our compassionate kindness here to Wes, learning to see one another as brother and sister. And let us take our kindness to the streets, out into the public square, in the offices where we work, in order to create a beloved community and build the world we dream about. I'd like to end with one more story of amazing kindness, but rather than my offering it to you, I'd like you to offer it to one another. Think of a single act of kindness or compassionate, deep soul level of exchange that you witnessed or participated in in the last week or so. Take a moment, think of one impressive, meaningful act of kindness in your life and turn and share it briefly with the person near you. Thank you so much for, for your sharing and, and I have to say I just coming in here this morning and you know being an observer before the service as you all came in the front door and seeing the children and you know, there's definitely a, a warm spirit of kindness at work here within the West community. It's very palatable. So thank you very much for having me today.